So verse 1, it says, and Saul approved of his execution. So we've been studying Saul a little bit more now. He's on the scene. He's this young Pharisee, um, and these are his BC days. And I think just that approval of an execution, and we know who died, right? What's his name? Stephen, correct? Um, A preacher of Christ, um, a servant in the church, a man filled with all the fullness of God that we saw. We can see very clear that Saul is an enemy of the cross, That word approval, uh, the word study, it's to agree with applaud. Just imagine that. Applauding as they're throwing stones at Stephen. To have pleasure in. Saul was feasting his eyes when Stephen was being pelted with stones. That sounds like an incredibly depraved place to be, right? Whether we have... We might think about our testimonies like, oh my gosh, I've, I'm, I'm not that bad. I, I do want us to really look at someone like Saul and see how dead in his trespasses and sins he was. And I do hope and pray that God will reveal to you, to me tonight, that we all are sinners. We all are enemies of the cross by nature. L- listen to what Paul writes. This man, who after he becomes a Christian, he writes this. Ephesians 2, verse 1, he says, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. You were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that's not working, the son's disobedience, verse 3, he says, among whom we all once lived. He's like, I was dead. We all were dead in our trespasses and sins. We lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and mind. Look at this. We were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. He later writes in Romans 3, no one's righteous, not even one. Verse 12, all have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. 3.23, that famous verse, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You can go letter to letter in all of his epistles, and he, he teaches something very clearly. We're all dead in our trespasses and sins. And he knows this because he writes in 1 Timothy 1.15, Christ came into the world to save sinners, and I'm the foremost. I feasted my eyes as they stoned my brother Stephen. As he preached Christ to his last death, I was applauding. I was rooting that on. You might think, gosh, I'm not as bad as Saul. I mean, I would have never approved of anyone's execution, geez. Or or maybe you think, maybe you might be tempted to think in our hearts like, oh, I'm not as bad as him or her, this or that, or I haven't done this. And and I want to warn us, if if you're running along that train of thought, you really don't understand sin. You know, to see with our hearts our sin like, like, it's one thing to just ha- understand the concept of sin. It's a whole other thing to truly be convinced and convicted of your sin against God. That's why when we get to chapter 9 at his conversion, he says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He's dead right now in his sin. He does not even see how he is sinning against the Lord. Let me read you some verses of men who do see their sin. Psalm 51 Verse 1, he says, have mercy on me, O God, 
According to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. I know my transgressions. That's big. Do you know? Do we really know our transgressions? My sin is ever before me. Do you see your sin tonight? Do I see my sin tonight? Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you're justified in your words, blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and sin did my mother conceive me. Do you see? Do you see? Saul did not see. Actually, when we get to verse 3, we're going to actually see he, he was doing this out of zeal for the Lord. This was his worship. Luke 5, 8. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, depart from me, I'm a sinful man. Felling to his knees. When's the last time you fell to your knees because you recognized you sinned against Christ? Like seriously, every believer, every Christian, we ought to really examine ourselves. Isaiah 6, 5, he says, woe is me, I'm lost, I'm undone. He says, I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell amidst the people of unclean lips. My eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Luke 17, 13, the tax collector standing far off would not even lift his eyes to heaven, but he beat his breast saying, God have mercy on me, a sinner. This is a supernatural sight for us to see that we truly have sinned against God. Like these are verses you read, and I'm just, sometimes I think to myself, I don't know if I can say amen when I read those verses. I don't know if I've fallen to my knees and trembled before God because of what I've done. We're so accustomed. We're, I Honestly, I'm so afraid that I'm so numb to sin at times. Oh, it's, it's, just a, it's just a bad word. It's just a cuss word. It's just a whoopsie. It's just one look. It's just one thing that I've done or I've done with my girlfriend, boyfriend. Whatever. You know, it's just, it's just a little... We downplay sin so much. Are we aware of our sin tonight? Do we see it like these men? I, I remember, I, and I praise the Lord, and I still pray to this day that I want God to open my eyes to see if there's anything in me that's grieving you, Lord. But the first time I really recall God's spirit breaking through for me, 12 years old in Juarez, Mexico, and we were at a worship gathering, and I just became dreadfully aware that I'm a bad boy. I'm lying to my parents. I'm doing things I ought not be doing. And I know it's wrong. And so something we ought to really realize as we walk through the life of Saul is this man truly was dead. And when we get to chapter 9, Jesus will graciously open his eyes to seeing how dead in his trespasses and sin he was. And I just pray that tonight, I wonder if there's anyone in the house, anyone listening online, maybe perhaps you don't see your sin as you ought to. You know, until we see our sin and our deadness in it and, that, and who we've sinned against, you don't really long for a savior. You know, Stephen and all the boys, all these apostles, why they preached Christ so powerfully and why they loved him to death they knew they were sinners. 
And you know why Stephen can lovingly pray for these men who are throwing rocks at him as he breathes his last? It's because he knows he's no better than these men. You know, I saw speaks of them later in chapter 10. He's like, oh, man, I long for Israel. I, I can testify I was just like them. Zeal for God, but I was, I was dead too. Anyway, we'll move on. Saul approved of his execution. He truly was dead in his sin. There arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. They were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. So here we see God sovereign over persecution, sovereignly sending his saints. So that day Stephen passed on. That day, this boom, this, it's almost like it was like the, that breaking point where all that animosity and just rage, just boom, overflowed. Great persecution. Here's the word study. It's great, intense, so loud, so large the oppressment and harassment. And, and just, you know, as Tani was saying earlier, like this, this might seem like just a painful episode and like everything's falling apart because then look, and everyone's getting scattered. Um, just remember, no, there's purpose for this. There's purpose for every painful season that we go through. There's purpose for this. Acts 1.8, he said, this message you will witness, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. So far in the first seven chapters, it's all been Jerusalem. 1-8 said, it's going to go. My purpose is this gospel is going to go. 8-1, we're starting to see it get out of Jerusalem. You see that? 1-8, this message got to go to the world. So far, it's only been in Jerusalem. And so what does the team captain do? Jesus Christ, in God's sovereignty, he allows persecution. He allows it to happen. And this is like that ready, break mode. Ready, break. Here we go. And the church, the ecclesia, the, the gathered citizens who are called out of the world and into the citizenship of God are being scattered. You know, when I first read that word, I, I actually thought it was more of like a, just a disarray, like, a, oh my gosh, everything's falling apart. No, you know, everyone's scattering. No, this is not the church falling apart. That word study was scatter. It's the, it comes from the verb spero, which is the same word used in the parable of the sower. It's a scattering of seed. The Lord is sending his saints, Jerusalem, now oh, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. The very fact that Christ is being preached in our church in Nuuanu, Hawaii, that's evidence of ends of the earth. Jerusalem's on the opposite side of the globe right now. God is sovereign over the persecution, and he's sovereignly sending his saints this is the beginning of missions. It's the establishment of local churches abroad. So don't for a moment read verse one through three, one through three and think, oh, oh, the enemy's winning. No, he's not. He never was. That's why Christ, when he got up from Gethsemane, he said, rise, let's go. He's not flinching going to the cross as if like, oh my gosh, what's going to happen? So when Pilate tried him and said, hey, I got the authority to set you. You have no authority over me. I know what I'm doing. He's sovereign. He's in charge. He's in control. He chose to die and rise and conquer sin and death. That's why the church, who are Christians, if we have Christ in us, we can't lose. We win because he wins. So don't for a moment flinch at texts like this and think, oh, no, the church is falling apart. It's not. They're not being scattered and disarrayed. 
and unraveling. They're being sent. That's why Paul will even write later in Acts 17, he says, God determined a lot, a lot of periods and boundaries of every person's dwelling place. God is sovereignly in control of every single sent saint right now. They're all getting scattered. He knows where Philip's going. We're going to see that in a little bit. He knows where all these saints here are going. And just understand this. And I've seen this in my life. And I don't know about you guys if you've been walking with the Lord for some time. But he is sovereign over all the scattered seasons of your life. None of them asked for this to happen to them. For their homes to get ravaged and for them to get plucked and, and just pushed out because of circumstance. Just like none of us asked for 2020 to happen. And quite frankly, we have no idea what's going to happen in 2021. But if persecution and scattering or just a jumble of circumstances happen, and you find yourself in a space or place or in a situation that you did not ask for, understand this, God's in control, and he's sovereign, and he has a purpose, and he may be sending you. We have to believe that, though. Oh, Lord, give us comfort in these things, so that no matter how dark the season may seem, or scattered it might look. We're never destroyed. Look at what Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 4, 7. We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power of God uh, belongs to God, not us. We're afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed. Perplexed. I like that word. It's been perplexing times recently. It's okay to be perplexed, to turn on the news and be like, What? What now? I don't get it. What? Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. The church is being persecuted. Stephen was struck down, stoned to death. People are driven and scattered from their homes. Gosh, they must have read verses like this and said amen. Because they're struck down, but they're not destroyed. They're perplexed. Where, would we, where do we go now? I don't know. We just go this way. Fill up. Oh, yeah, okay. I think oh, let's just go that way. I don't know what to do. They're just in this crazy season right now, but not driven to despair. Paul also writes Romans 8.28, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. God knows what he's doing here right now. He wasn't tripping out at Acts chapter 7, like, oh no, Stephen. And he's not tripping out right now at Saul and the church being persecuted and everyone being, he knows exactly what he's doing and he knows exactly what he's doing tonight, today, in your life. In all the perplexing, whatever you're going through, the scattered feelings or circumstances, perhaps persecution for some of you from family members or coworkers who you've been praying for and trying to witness to. Take heart tonight, Christian. He's allowing this to happen. There's purpose for the pain. The question is, do you believe it and do you trust him? Do we trust him? You know, had these things not happened, when we get to the rest of chapter 8, perhaps that wouldn't have happened with Philip and the eunuch and so on and so forth. Saul, chapter 9. So anyway, 
It's all good because it's all God. Therefore, we can always sing. We can always declare that God is good. Yeah, I just recently got to have a conversation with Pastor Johnny's dad. You know, just sit and talk. And one thing that, you know, John Hom, our worship leader on Sundays, always says is what? God is good? I tried to press him in the way. Hey, how, how did that, how did you get that? Like, that's your thing. That's right. That's your signature. And I was like waiting for some epic, like, oh, this is what happened. He's like, oh, someone gave me a shirt and I loved it. I said, God is good. <laughs> that's awesome, bro. But then, no, he elaborated though, because of, of, of the, but he believes that, you know, like. And that's why when James writes to the dispersed church in chapter one, the, the scattered church, he says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of many kinds. Because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance or steadfastness, steadfastness, and steadfastness will have its full effect. So you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. So to all the scattered saints out there, count it all joy. Christ is at work. May not make sense, but that's okay. Don't be driven to despair. Your God is that big. Our God is that big. I love being a Christian. And I love that when you follow the Lord, your life makes no sense. <laughs> the only thing that makes sense is God. Makes no sense that I'm here. Makes no sense that we're all here. It's all God. It's all Christ. So anyway, we read on. It says that they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except, and I, I think a brother pointed this out, except the apostles. Except the main preachers and teachers. Interesting. So we see the apostles remain, but the gospel advances. How? Through the members of the church. Here's a little sneak peek for next week. Acts chapter 8, verse 4. Those who were scattered, so these are the church members, the believers, went about doing what? Preaching the word. I love that. So we get to Philip. He's not like, oh, oh, let me get Peter. Oh, he's in Jerusalem. Oh, you know what? You should call John. Oh, we know more cell phones. It's only in the first century. You know, like, it's not like that. It's like Philip is able to, oh, what are you reading? I said, yeah, let, hey, let me, let, me, let me help you out. That's why I love even often when Pastor Bob gives an address, an invitation on Sunday to those who are visiting. He says, he doesn't just say, oh, talk to one of the pastors. He says, deacons, a church member. Why? Because we hope and pray that our membership, by God's grace, becomes such a church that we all know this message. This, this, this is our faith. And so when God was sovereignly scattering everyone, he was sending the gospel through all the members. Just go. Because we see later, the gospel doesn't stop in Jerusalem because all the apostles are stuck there or stay there. The apostles are remaining, but the gospel is advancing, and we will see that in full as we keep going. Matthew 28, right? The Great Commission. All authority in heaven has been given on earth, uh, has been given to me. There, go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. The apostles did a spectacular job of discipling the church in Jerusalem because when they were scattered and sent, personal evangelism was happening everywhere. 
I hope and pray that by God's grace, we could do that same thing here too in this place. That's why we have, you know, um, studies and lectures like, like on Mondays and Saturdays and Sunday schools and things like that. And we want, we really do want like midweeks and Sundays, like we want to equip all of us to know this truth, know this gospel. And it burns so bright in us that you're not going to be like, oh, you know, you should talk to Pastor Johnny. That's a good question. Uh, you know, here's Pastor Bob's number. No. I'm imagining just the church going and they're being scattered, yet they were taught, they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. So even though they were who knows where now on the road, they knew this. Ah, oh, Jesus said, Loa, I am with you always. Lord, I thank you for Peter and John and James and all the apostles. Thank you so much for that season with them. But I have you, Jesus Christ, right now. You know, in 10 years, we may not all be sitting here together. I hope not, actually. Because wherever the Lord would send us, send you, Christ is with you. Anyway, Lord, make us a church membership that when we gather, when we say amen and leave, it's ready, break, let's go. And the gospel's sending, sending, sending. Let's keep going through this. Verse 2, so devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentations over him. I just want to make a few comments on this, but notice devout, uh, just, just imagine, imagine them recovering the body, lifting up the stones, pulling out his mutilated flesh in the midst of the great persecution that's going on. Luke was right to note these were devout men. They were men who resonated with Stephen and the resurrection. They believed what he died for. And so I'm just imagining them as they're uncovering the body and burying him. This is the type of influence that young Stephen had. He influenced devout men. It's just a powerful thing. I, um, last year, last two years, I think we, I've got to, you know, we've had a couple members in our church pass, and we got to go to Deanna's funeral and um, Dora's funeral, and there is something about the burial of a saint that is just so like, it's sad, but it's mingled with so much like weightiness of this like, Amen. Thank you, Stephen. You believed. I'm going to keep preaching this gospel as they buried him. Ecclesiastes 7 says this, A good name is better than precious ointment. The day of death, better than the day of birth. Wow. It's better to go to a house of mourning than to go to a house of feasting. For this is the end of all mankind, and the living will lay it to heart. And I think that's what these devout men are doing. They're laying, as they buried Stephen, they're laying to heart his life. I hope and pray that we would be men and women who live lives in such a way that for those who bury us, they will lay to heart and see Christ crucified, risen, and he's worth it, and be inspired by us. There was a great lament over Stephen because he made a great impact for the kingdom. Verse 3, to close, Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house, and he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Ravaging. 
Hannah mentioned, to make havoc, to devastate. Remember, Saul was not just trying to stop them. He wanted to shame them, dishonor them so bad that they would never dare to even speak Christ again. Imagine that, house to house. Like, men, imagine just someone coming into your house and ripping your wife away. It's just dragging people away. This is Saul. Saul writes this in Philippians 3 after his conversion. <laughs> if anyone thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I'm telling you, I got more. He starts saying, I was circumcised on the eighth day, the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee. Now, this is what he says, interesting, as to zeal, as to zeal for God, a persecutor of the church. Saul had zeal. Like Stephen, Stephen had zeal and passion. The difference? Saul's zeal was not based on knowledge. He writes later to the Roman church in Romans 10, verse 2 to 3, he says, I bear witness about them, speaking of the Jews, the Israelites, they have zeal for God. I, I bear witness. I had zeal for God. But not according to knowledge. What knowledge? The knowledge Stephen was trying to pro proclaim. The knowledge Peter and John were preaching. All the apostles were preaching. Christ, Jesus is the Christ. That's the knowledge he didn't have. So we can have all this zeal and passion and charisma and emotionalism. But if it's not based on knowledge, we're going to wreak havoc in the church. And I must confess, much of my journey, I think, was that. A zeal, a passion, but not based on true knowledge. That's why this next mark that we're about to study is so, in, for those of you who have been going to the Healthy Mark study, biblical theology, important. Our passion, our zeal must be based on knowledge that Christ Jesus is the Christ. He's our righteousness. They didn't, Saul didn't have this. You know, I, I've even talked with Christians and brothers and sisters who, you know, like even in their zeal and their passion, they'll say stuff like, you know, hey, I'm just being, I just got to be real. I just got to be honest. I just got to be for real now. And they blurt out how they, their sinful feelings and thinking, thoughts and all this kind of stuff. Like, I'm just being real. And then they, that's it. And, and it's almost as if a justification, like, well, I'm just being real, it, but there's no, it's like, I'm just being real. That's, that's, what, that's how I am. And, but they share it as a means to like, that's all it is. It's like, whoa, that's interesting. Is, but no real desire to repent. I'm all for being transparent and real. Just no, really repent. And that's why when we get to chapter nine, it's so profound that Jesus makes sure Saul knows, you're persecuting me. It's, it's crazy to think that Saul has so much zeal for God, but it's not based on knowledge. You can be serious and seriously wrong. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, so you, you'd honestly share with me stuff and be sincere. My prayer, my hope is that as we share, though, that we would realize we're sincerely wrong and we need to repent. Because what if Saul used that logic? It's for God, bro. I'm just being real. They're all blasphemers. Saul had zeal for God, but not based on knowledge. So I pray, as Jesus said in John 4, true worship is worshipers who worship in spirit and in truth. Brothers, sisters, we must know the word of God. We must study our Bibles. 
We must let our spiritual fervor and zeal and enthusiasm when we sing, when we serve, when we participate in the gatherings, it's based on the knowledge of Christ alone. He's, he's our righteousness. He's our savior. That's what we want to inspire us and motivate us. I pray often every morning, Lord, let your love be what controls me. We all need to be handled by the Holy Spirit. And I hope and pray that our zeal, our devotion as we continue on is not like this, not based on knowledge, but based on the knowledge of Christ. So in close, I'll just recap some of the points and we'll pray. Saul was dead in his trespasses and sins. Ask the Lord to show you your, your wrong tonight. Pray the Psalm 139. Search me, O God, know my heart. Help me to see, is there anything offensive? Don't let us be blind to our sin. The apostles remain, but the gospel advanced. Lord, help us to be a church. Help me to not just be one of those, like, talk to my brother, talk to the pastor. No, if you're a Christian, you can bring this gospel to wherever you're going. Saul had zeal for God, but not based on knowledge. Serious, but seriously wrong. We'll pray together, and um, as Brother Dylan said last week, I hope you had a juicy bite of God's Word tonight, <laughs> and Sister Mel texted out to everybody, I'm ready for a dose of the Word of God. I am encouraged by all of our growing affections for the Word of God. It really is encouraging. It's really fun to come to church and grow with brothers and sisters who are hungry for this, but seriously, I, I plead with us tonight, let's really weigh in where we're at with Christ examine the things that you've wrote, written down and ask the Holy Spirit to continue uh, his work in us and through us. Father in heaven, we love you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the opportunity to gather in the middle of the week. And regardless of maybe how tired or perplexing or scattered we might feel or see our lives in right now, we know this. We have a sovereign God who's in control. Therefore, we can rest. So come what may, God is good. Help the gospel of Jesus Christ to burn so bright in our hearts that we can't help but take this message now. And as we say amen, let this be a break, a holy huddle and then a ready break to go and share the love of Christ, his life, death, and resurrection. We pray these things in Jesus' name.